0: We've changed our uh, projection system here in the sanctuary and so things are just a little bit different at times and uh, there's always some glitches as you do that and so hopefully everything will work as we expect it to and want to and if it doesn't, that's alright too. Um, maybe the only one who will notice is me and so I'll work through my frustration and just be okay with that. Um, if you've got your Bible, I want you to go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1 if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are some provided in the pew area there, right in front of you. And if you want to open that to Romans uh, chapter one, and we're going to be looking at Romans chapter one, two, and three. And uh, don't get nervous; uh, I'm going to still get you out of here at noon. And so, but I, I want to cover um, a big chunk of scripture, and I want to read it to you. In fact, uh, one of my flaws is probably giving you more scripture than I should at times. But I guess if I give you scripture and not just my opinion, you really can't go wrong with that. And so uh, I want to share this with you because I I feel like, uh, and I really feel like now, um, that the Lord put this in my heart to share with you uh, regarding truth. And uh, I want you to hear the truth. And uh, the word of God is very clear and very uh, true on this. And there's a lot of deception. There's a lot of falsehood in some of these areas. And uh, as I was preparing for this weekend, I wanted to share in the area of freedom. Um, I'm planning a series later in the summer. We're going to start a series through the book of Hebrews. And uh, we're kind of in in the midst of a... um, Kind of the go-between, if you will, because I finished a series before I left for a vacation and then we had a few missionaries that were with us and then Pastor John is going on vacation and then we've got Royal Family Kids Camp and uh, we've got some other things planned for the next couple weeks uh, along the lines uh, of those things for the commissioning service next week for for our staff going to that camp and also for our, our youth and Pastor John going on our missions trip and, um, and so in the meantime, I didn't want to start a series and then just kind of jump around so I was going to wait and as I... I I started coming up with this uh, sermon on truth or freedom and I wanted to preach on freedom and walking in freedom and I kept coming back to this concept of truth. And uh, there is that correlation that Jesus makes that when we know truth and we walk in truth, um, we walk in freedom. And so I titled the message The Problem of a Christian Nation. The Problem of a Christian Nation. Um, The word Christian in our day and age is a very broad term. America is known as a Christian nation, whether you agree with that or disagree with that, it, it, it goes without saying that's by and large what we're referred to as. But that doesn't necessarily mean Christ follower. Okay. The word Christian in our day now can just mean non-Muslim, non-Jew, non-Hindu, non-Buddhist. It can just be a, a general broad term for some belief in a higher power or just a, a certain way of living. And so people may not even believe in God at all and really refer to themselves as Christian in in some sense. And so it's, it's hard to discern uh, what that word Christian is. But As we celebrate our nation's independence, as we celebrate this freedom weekend, and we trace our our roots back as a nation, back to its beginning, many people will tell us that we are a Christian nation and that we were founded on biblical, godly principles. And and, uh, there's some truth in that. I think sometimes we stretch it a little bit farther than it really is. I know that some of our founding fathers had a, a strong faith in God, a strong trust in His Word, but they all didn't. Okay, not all of our founding fathers, but a large majority of them did. They believed in the word of God, but they did not establish America as a theocracy. They did not say that God rules this land. They did not even establish a democracy, if you know your history or government well. They established a republic, a republic where we democratically elect leaders to govern us. That's a republic. And so they established this, but a lot of, (coughs) excuse me, A lot of the laws that they set up, and a lot of the writings, the the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, a lot of it had its basis or foundation in the word of God. And even some of the the non-believers, if you will, that helped frame the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence that probably would not have declared a faith in Jesus Christ and an allegiance to him, and would not be what we call a born-again believer, would have still believed that the word of God was a a solid foundation for living. And so even the unbelievers back then knew that there was truth here. And so they developed a a country, if you will, based on the word of God and our our foundation of morality. And you would think that's a good thing. And by and large it is. But everything kind of has pros and cons. And there is a bad side of having a Christian nation. The Israelites were warned when they went into the promised land, the same thing. I mean, they were maybe the first Christian nation, if you will, because as they were going into the promised land, they were warned not to to be puffed up with pride. Don't go into the promised land and start thinking, you did this for yourself, okay? Remember God who brought you here, and you can also kind of get in the culture of christian living or godly living and really not pursue uh, an intimate relationship with god your father you can you know go through the motions of the religion and the feasts and the 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 law but not really have a heart that desires to please god that's what they were warned someone ought to have warned us as a christian nation those same things when we developed this country and I'll try to explain what I mean as we go through, but I wanna start in Romans chapter one. And as I said, we're gonna read (coughs) large sections of scripture today, and I'm gonna make some comments as we read through them, (coughs) and hopefully by the end, uh, when we land the airplane, uh, the message will have made its point and impact in your heart. Romans chapter (coughs) one, starting in verse one, this letter (coughs) is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle, sent out to preach his good news. I want you to pay attention to how many times the word good news is used in this first section. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. Gentiles, if you don't know, in the scripture, we just non-Jews. We are Gentiles. The Israelites, the Jews, were God's people. The non-Jews, everyone on earth, was, were Gentiles. <clears throat> so Paul's saying, all you non-Jews, because that's who he's writing to here. He, he's given us this authority to tell all non-Jews everywhere what God has done for them. So that, listen to this, this is why he's telling them the good news. So that they will believe and obey him. So they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. That's the whole point of this thing. The whole point of hearing and responding to the good news about Christ is to believe, obey, and bring glory to God. Sometimes that gets lost, so I wanted to make sure we understood that. You are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. Notice again, we've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. You're loved by God, called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Can I tell you, God cannot give you grace and peace until you make peace with him. A lot of people pray and say, God, I want, I want the peace of God in my life but you can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so you can pray all day, God, give me peace, give me peace, but if you haven't made peace with God through Jesus, the peace of God won't come and stay in your life, okay? Then he he talks about his love for them, his prayers for them, his desire to come to them. Let's skip down to verse 15. So I am eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So this good news is about how we come into right relationship with God again. Apparently, we're not in right relationship with God. And it's accomplished by faith. Now, skip over to Romans chapter 3. Just turn a few pages. Romans chapter 3. Because this is where he begins to outline uh, the, this salvation that he talks about. Romans is one of the most amazing theological books of the New Testament. It is, from start to finish, just a, it, if you will, it's a whole doctrine of salvation and how it works out. And uh, apart from maybe the book of Hebrews, is just one of the most theologically rich books in the New Testament. And I'd love to sit here and read all 16 chapters, but you probably wouldn't stay. So, verse 9, Romans chapter 3. Well then, should we conclude that the Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we've already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Okay, so he's already shown that. We're going to read some of that in a minute. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God, not even those of you born as Americans in this Christian nation. You're not born with a desire to seek God. You're not born truly wise. You're born just like everyone else, all unrighteous, all under the power of sin. All have turned away, all have become useless, no one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Now, as I look around the room, I don't know that that would be my first... thing to put out there to describe if you know if someone came to me and said who was in your church today I I don't know that this would be how I would describe you I mean you all look like nice people and you're dressed up very nice and you've combed your hair and you look good and uh, you seem like really sweet nice people but the truth is this is all of us apart from Christ this is who we are not a nicer version of it Okay, there's, it's not like some people, that just describes some people. Every human being on this planet, this is the description of who we are. Now, that's not good news. That's very bad news. But the good news is, if you go to verse 21, but now... God has shown us the way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. All we've got to do is put our faith, our confidence in Christ and we're made right with God. For everyone is sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. See, we might look like good people and we might look like maybe not as bad as the our neighbor. I mean, Pastor Tom, I could tell you about some, some really wicked people. And if we compare ourselves with them, you know, we don't look so bad. But if we compare ourselves with the holy, righteous standard of God, then we're what we just read and was, were described. And so we're not comparing ourselves with others. We're comparing ourselves with that standard. And according to that standard, this is who we are. But God has made this way to be right with him. God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. Sin demands a sacrifice, it demands death, it demands a penalty. And if we believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He came to earth, that He shed His blood on that cross to do away with our sin problem once and for all, if we do, if we believe that, we are now in right relationship with God. That's good news. I don't know about you, but that's good. If this is who I was, but Jesus did this for me, and because of that, I'm now in right relationship with God, if all I do is believe that that happened, and that he did it in my place, that's all I've gotta do? Yep, that's all we've gotta do. But you gotta keep listening, don't fall asleep on me now. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Now that's one of the most profound statements in the entire scripture, because what it's saying is God doesn't dwell in time. God dwells outside of time. He knows the end, from the beginning so that means that way back when when God knew that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden he could declare people righteous who had faith in him because he knew one day Jesus was going to shed his blood for them also and so when they put their faith in God he could declare them righteous in his fairness and in his goodness because he saw it coming that's good news I mean especially if you were born before Jesus that's really good news so What Paul is telling us is that every human being has broken God's law. We fall short of God's standard of right and wrong. And that when we stand before him, we would be judged guilty because of that. And there's not this standard of, well, God will be more lenient on you because you're just like a first-time offender. Or maybe you're a second-time offender. No, according to the righteous standard of God, we're all filthy, stench-ridden wretches. And only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ can we be in right standing with God. And that is the good news. Jesus paid that penalty. We can be made perfect. We can be like we have done absolutely nothing wrong in our lives. We can completely measure up to the good standard that God has set just by putting faith in Christ. And when we do that, the scripture tells us that we are transformed we get a new nature, we get a new heart. In fact, you cannot put your faith in Christ unless you want that. If you're okay with your nature, if you're okay, you think you're kind of a good person and maybe you know, you'll invite Jesus to come and live in your heart and, you know, and you'll just add a good few Christian principles to your life, if that's what you want, you can't sign up for this. You have to say, I am one of these wretches described right here and I need to accept what Christ has done and then receive a new heart, a new life, a transformation, a change. Romans chapter 2, turn back a page. This is where Paul shows us. Romans chapter 2. Verse 25, he's comparing the Jewish cer- ceremony of circumcision, which was the way the people of God in the Old Testament showed their faith and trust in God was through circumcision. In the New Testament, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul says that it's no longer a circumcision of the flesh, but a circumcision of our hearts, a changing of our hearts. It's not just conforming our outward appearance or our outward behavior. It's changed from the inside out. So the Jewish ceremony of circumcision, verse 25, has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you're no better than an uncircumcised Gentile. If the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentile who keeps God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. You are a true Jew if, you, if your heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. While it's true that we just need to put our faith and belief in Christ, What we have to understand is maybe the fine print, if you will, in the scripture, that says the moment we do that, God comes and he transforms us. He doesn't just clean us up a little bit. He takes our life and takes it in a 180 direction. Before Christ, we were living for ourselves. Before Christ, we were concerned only about ourselves. But the moment we put faith in Christ, he transforms us into being one who lives now for the glory of God. We are called to be a holy people. We are called to live for the glory of God. That's what we've already read from Romans chapter one. So the good news, in essence, is this. We admit that we've broken God's law. We fall short of his standard of right and wrong. We believe that God declared us righteous with God by Christ's death and that alone. And then we begin to cooperate with his spirit to receive a change of heart that leads to a change of behavior. The problem of a Christian nation is is that we can have a tendency to put the cart before the horse. We want people to live to please God, and they haven't had a changed heart. They haven't put faith in Christ. They haven't admitted that they've broken God's standard. And we wonder why it's a losing battle. Why can't we get people to accept God's word as the foundation? Well, because their hearts haven't been changed. And the only reason you accept it is because your heart has been changed. And we think if we could just get people to live according to the Bible, the world would be a better place. And in some sense, it would be true. It would be a better place, but hell would not be any less populated. And God's concern isn't just that we have a good place to live while we're here on earth. He's interested in depopulating hell. The law was given to us to show us that we do not measure up. Go back to Romans chapter 3. You're going to just flip back and forth. Romans 1, two, 3. If you have really small print, might all be on the same page. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Okay, remember, the only way we are made right with God is not by obeying the law. It's by faith in Christ. But that faith in Christ gives us a new heart and the ability to do what the law asks of us to bring glory to God. You can't get the cart before the horse and try to get people to obey the law before they put faith in Christ. Now, this still is a good book, and this still is a good source of morality for any nation on earth, but we have to stop deceiving ourselves into believing that people are just going to line up to, to accept this word. In fact, the apostle Paul later in the book of Romans says, whenever I hear the word, it actually, the law preached, it actually stirs up a desire in me to disobey it even more. Now, isn't that interesting? Interesting. Its purpose is just to show us that we've broken God's law. But what it does when we declare it to unrighteous people is it stirs up within them a desire to do it. Or it just stirs up within them a desire to defend themselves against it. They hate it. I mean, who wants to be told they're a wretch? In fact, if we present the bad news without the good news, we do a great disservice. Because all we do is agitate people. The reason that we share the bad news is so that we can share the good news. It's faith in Christ that brings about that supernatural power to change. The problem of the Christian nation is trying to force people to change behavior without a change of heart. Another problem with a Christian nation is we focus on our outward behaviors and not a life of pursuing God. In other words, we don't murder because that's wrong, the Bible says so, but we don't have as much of a problem with hatred, or slander, or gossip. Because after all, those sins aren't as bad. I mean, murder obviously is way worse than just slandering somebody unless you take the standard of who God is and compare it with that, then Jesus says, if you hate your brother in your heart, you're guilty of murder. But in a Christian nation, as long as I don't murder people, I'm good, I'm good. And that's why we have churches full of people that won't talk to each other. I don't know how we can call ourselves believers and that we represent the character of a pure, holy, righteous God who never treated us as our sins deserve, but yet we can't talk to someone else because of something they did to us? That's the problem of a Christian nation. We're not concerned with the change of heart. We just want everyone to obey the law. And yes, I want everyone to obey the law and I think this is a great standard of right and wrong. But as we'll see, go back to Romans chapter one. Without faith in Christ, morality just gets messy. In Romans chapter one, Paul kind of goes through a discourse about the truth and the character of God and our response as humans to that. Starting in verse 18 where we left off, it says, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They suppress truth by their wickedness. Truth is an important thing. They know the truth about God because He's made it obvious to them. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. They have no excuse for not knowing God. In other words, Paul is saying God is so imprinted in the fabric of human beings that when we see nature, when we see creation, when we see, I mean, it's just obvious God created it. When we see the human body and all of its intricacies and we realize that it's just obvious there was a creator. It's obvious that there's a handprint of something bigger than us. But if I admit that, I also have to admit, admit that Creator maybe gives me a standard of right and wrong. And I don't want a standard of right and wrong because I want to be my standard of right and wrong. I don't want to tell people to tell me what to do. I want to tell myself what to do. And so they suppress the truth about God. They knew God. Look what it says next. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or give Him thanks. Now, that doesn't mean that they wouldn't go to church When we see that word worship, sometimes we think that's what it is. But when it says that they wouldn't worship God, it means they wouldn't acknowledge who God is. It means that they wouldn't say that God was the creator, that God is holy and righteous and just and fair, that God is the standard of right and wrong. It means that they wouldn't declare the truth about who God is. They wouldn't obey what God has asked them to do. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament says that true worship is to obey him. And so worship isn't a slow song. Worship isn't just what we did here today, declaring who God is. It's how I live my life. In fact, James says, you can't say God is great and God is all these things and praise him with your mouth and then with your tongue curse your brother. That shouldn't happen. Because then what you're saying is that there is inside of you both a polluted spring and a fresh spring. And that can't be. Either the, the spring within you is fresh or it's not fresh. So they didn't want to worship God. They didn't want to give him thanks. So they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools instead. And instead of worshiping the gloriously ever-living God, they worshiped mere idols made to look like people and birds and reptiles. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but how stupid to actually think that if you formed this idol with your hands that it could actually be your God. How in the world could something you made have made you or rule over you? Melt the thing down. But that's what happens when you choose not to acknowledge who God is. It says that God in his anger, his anger punished them. He poured out his wrath. There's something you need to know about the the righteous anger of God or the the justice of God. There is an active judgment of God. Sodom and Gomorrah received the active judgment of God in the Old Testament. Remember, fire rained down from heaven, destroyed the whole city. That's pretty active. But there's also a passive judgment of God. And through Christ... Christ has entered us into a season where there's a passive judgment of God. Meaning, if you don't want God to be a part of your life, his passive judgment is to step back and let you have control. We mistake that as thinking that that's God's approval on our lives. But as we'll read, it's not. It's actually a sign of God's judgment. When God stops correcting you, when God stops telling you that there are things in your life that you need to work on, that's not a sign of his approval with your life. That's a sign of him stepping back and saying, okay, you want to be in control, I'll let you be in control. And I will let your life get crazy and out of control so that you come to the end of yourself and you come and you call on me. And even in that moment, he's so faithful that he'll respond to us. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women who turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their own foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. He's beginning to show us what happens when human nature gets turned over to itself. He's beginning to show us that we do things that God never intended us to do, that that violate God's standard of right and wrong. I don't care what your reasoning mind tells you or how many Christian people get up and declare to you that something right here that God's word says is not okay, is not God's standard of right and wrong, is okay for us. But as Christians... In our Christian nation, it's easy for us to take this and to lift it up and exalt it above what he's about to say. Look at verse 29. He goes on and says, their lives, not only there, not only the the sexual immorality that he's just described, became full of every kind of wickedness. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip, They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. They refuse to break, they refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway, and worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. In other words, they pass laws saying it's okay to do these things. This is what happens when we get turned over to ourselves, Most of us would say we look at our society, this Christian nation that we live in, and we see all these things. I'm surprised that we all have, maybe you knew where we were going, and so you didn't give a hearty amen. Amen, this is what happens in, in society when people just refuse to worship God and refuse to obey him. When they refuse to not just put faith in Christ, but they refuse to be transformed from the inside out. This is what happens to us. Well, look at what Paul says next. You may think in chapter two, verse one, you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. Why don't we have an excuse? Because we've put our faith in Christ. We've acknowledged who God is. He's come and he's changed our heart. And it's it's not that we're never gonna struggle with sin. It's not that we're never gonna, we're gonna gossip and then feel guilty that we've gossiped or slandered and we're not going to feel guilty or been involved in immorality of some sort or said something we shouldn't have said it's not that we're not going to struggle it's that we're we're struggling and we're excusing it we're living in that lifestyle and thinking that God's okay with it because of hey I put faith in Christ that's all I need to do God says no you need to display my character and my nature to the world When you say, verse two, when you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. We know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you're stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. I mean, don't, don't think that God's kindness and mercy, that just because he just delays judgment, means that he's, he's approving of our behavior. If there are things in our lives that we're participating in on a regular basis, disobeying our parents. What what else does he say? Gossip. He says, uh, hatred. These little, these Christian sins, as we call them. I mean, they're not so big a deal, but yet Paul lumps them together with all these horrible sins. We can't excuse them in our lives. They should concern us. We should come to the place where we say, Lord, I need to turn from this. I cannot allow this to be in my life. I don't want to just live in a a nice country where most of the laws are good. I want to have a heart that is changed. I want to display your character, your nature to the people around me. Because I recognize if I'm not displaying your character and your nature, they're never going to know it. They're never going to know it. Again, we're not talking about struggling through the, the sanctification process. We know that the Lord is working on us. But there there's this there's a pandemic in the church where we recognize sin in people's lives. Well, that's just who they are. I mean, that's just how they are. No. Who we are is recreated in Christ Jesus. And I may have been Irish before and I may have had a temper before, but in Christ Jesus, God doesn't have a temper. Thank the Lord or none of us would be here today. I mean, if God had an Irish temper, (whistles) boom, judgment on everybody right away. But God's standard is right. And so I can't look at my life and excuse or defend my behavior that contradicts who his word says he is. He is holy. He is righteous. He is fair. He is just. He's all this thing. And not only is he that way toward good people, he's that way toward his enemies. He demonstrated his love for us and that while we were his enemies, he died for us. See, sometimes we forget that the worst thing that anyone has ever done to us when compared to what we have done to him isn't on the same plane. And that's why God says, forgive others as you have been forgiven because there's a recognition of how horribly we've treated him. And the reason we won't forgive others is because we don't understand what we've done to him. The reason that we won't talk to that person is because we don't understand what we've done to him. And yet churches today all across this country have people sitting together in the same sanctuary that will leave today purposely avoiding each other. Purposely not talking to each other. And then we'll go out and we'll Petition that there will be no transgender bathrooms, that there will be no sexual immorality in our nation. And those things are true and good and and right. But to think that God puts them on different levels would be a disservice of his word. It's his character and his nature, and he wants us to deal with all of it. We cannot be content to pursue a Christian way of life and not surrender our lives fully to God and worship him as God, reflect his character and his nature. It might be easy for us to be better than non-believers but not surrender ourselves to the standard of righteousness that God is. Now, before you feel guilty and condemned and like a wretch, understand that our faith in Jesus Christ completely makes us right with God. And so even while we work these things out in our lives, we're in right standing with God because it's all about his sacrifice for us. But I can't defend my behavior when it contradicts his word. I can't choose my selfish ways over his ways. Go back to Romans chapter two. Verse 17, you who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law You boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you've been taught his law. You're convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. I don't think it's a, too big of a stretch for us in this nation instead of saying you call yourselves Jews say you call yourselves Christian but you're content to break God's law and maybe the world blasphemes God not because they've turned their back on him but because the church hasn't taken seriously the character and the nature of who God is and we haven't pursued his righteous character and to honor and glorify him in the way that we live our lives In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says there would be a time when we would have a form of godliness but deny the power of God that can make us holy. Revelation chapter 3, the Apostle John, sharing the words of Jesus, says to the church in Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive but you're dead. The same warning that the Apostle Paul says here. In Galatians chapter 6, Verse seven, it says, do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. If you live to satisfy your own sinful nature, you will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. So don't get tired of doing what is good because at the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. One last passage from Romans chapter 2. Go to verse 13 if you would. Romans chapter 2 verse 13. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Now, please again understand. We're we're not talking about being made right by our works. James is pretty clear when, in James chapter 2, he says, faith isn't enough. Unless you produce good deeds, faith is dead and useless. Some would say I have faith and others would say I have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, you believe that there's one God, Uh, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish, can not you see that faith without good deeds is dead? So in Romans chapter two, he's, what Paul is saying is if you put faith in Christ, he's giving you this new nature that we talked about by a spirit, and through that new nature, you're going to do the things that please him. You're not gonna read something in his word that says this is the character of God and say, well, you know, I know that's the character of God, but I don't really need to apply that to my life. If, you're, if you say that, you've never really experienced saving faith. Because you haven't surrendered your will and your desire. Look at what he goes on to say, verse 14. Even Gentiles, who do not have God's written law, show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. For their own conscience and thoughts accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life while it's good that we continue to try and allow our nation to be shaped by the moral standards of God's law let's not allow or not get get to the place where we no longer allow this book to transform our hearts as we live out our lives And not get so busy condemning the obvious sin that we see out there and comparing it with our lives, realize, well, maybe we're not as bad. Let's understand sin at its root and at its condition and learn what it means to truly turn away from it and repent. We need a scriptural change of heart. And it comes from admitting that we fall short of God's standard his law. It comes from regularly reading and studying his law and learning to confess our sin and not rationalize it, not cover it up, not make excuses for it, not say that's just who I am, that you don't understand what I've been through or how I've been treated. It's not just seeking a Christian way of life, but it's seeking the character of God. Stop and think for a moment, if God treated you today the way you deserve to be treated because of how you treated him, Where would you be? Not in this room. None of us would be here. And this is what he wants to do in our hearts. And I believe if the church would come to understand this and put real faith in this, we would see a change in our nation. God is not gonna come and judge the White House and pass by his house on the way. Judgment starts in the house of God. Otherwise, he blasphemes his own name, letting us continue in our sin and confronting them on theirs. We need both. We need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to cleanse us from the inside out. And so our goal should not just be a nation that looks Christian, our goal should be to be a people whose hearts have been changed by the spirit of God, a people who now live for the glory of God and not for ourselves. In those chapters of Romans one through three, the Apostle Paul reminds us what we live for. We live, we seek after the glory of God. We seek after the the immortality that God offers, the eternal nature of who he is. It's not just not doing bad things, but it's pursuing him, it's pursuing him his character, and his nature. And if we've got a heart that has changed from selfishness to him, that's what we'll pursue. But a Christian nation stops short of that. A Christian nation just makes sure everyone's behavior is good. God says, I don't want just your behavior to be good. I want your heart to be good. I want you to pursue me and know me. Seek praise from me and not from people or from yourselves. And when we do that, we become agents of change in this world. You know, the song that we sang at the beginning of the service, um, Build Your Kingdom Here, you know, there's a line in there that says, we are his church, we are the hope on earth. Isn't it interesting that we know Jesus is the hope of the world, we know Jesus is the light of the world, but yet the scripture also declares that as his people, with his spirit living in us, we are the hope on earth. We are the light of the world. That's what he's asking for. For us to be these people. And so Father, today, I thank you first and foremost that you've never treated us as our sins have deserved. Thank you that while we were your enemies, you sent your son to this earth to give your life For us to shed your blood for our sin. I pray for each of us in this room today to recognize more clearly the condition of who we are apart from you, apart from that sacrifice. That we would not be of these that the Apostle Paul says, condemn the world but yet also condemn ourselves. Help us to put true faith in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us today and allow your spirit to transform our hearts where we're no longer content with not murdering, but we're seeking to not hate, to not allow bitter root to spring up in our hearts and defile many. To understand that when your word says, to warn divisive people and after that don't have anything to do with them. That bitterness and unforgiveness, that slander and gossip are on the same plane as murder. Father, we repent today. We repent for our laziness, our apathy toward the transformation that you desire to see in our lives. Forgive us for not genuinely reflecting your nature and your character in the ways that we should. Renew in us today a passion to know your word, to know you, to know your character and your nature in such a way that we want to display that, reflect that as we walk about this community, as we go about our daily lives, where we're not content to just conform outwardly to a pattern of behavior. God, we wanna be transformed from the inside out. We wanna deal with those things in our hearts that no one else even sees. Because we understand that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. So Holy Spirit, we wanna cooperate with you today. Write your laws on our hearts. May your truth be something that we use to fight against the reasonings of the human mind that would contradict the truth of your word, the lies, the apathy of our own hearts. Holy Spirit, do a deep work in each of our hearts today, I pray. In just a moment, I'm gonna dismiss you from the service, but I do wanna take just a moment to give you a chance to respond to the word of God today. Because you may be in this room and maybe you've never fully understood your sinful condition apart from Christ. Maybe today the way we've read these words from the Apostle Paul, maybe you've understood in a greater way or a better way the need to turn from our old lives. Maybe you were raised in church and you've attended church all your life, but today you wonder whether or not you've ever actually had a a point of conversion where you've surrendered your life to Christ. If you haven't done that and today you say, I wanna do that. I wanna admit today that I've broken God's standard. I wanna put faith in what Christ has done and I wanna cooperate with the Holy Spirit to turn from my old life and to start this new life that the Apostle Paul has talked about. If that's you, you've never done that and you'd wanna do that today, would you slip up your hand and say, I wanna pray that today. I wanna ask the Lord to do that today in my life. I'm not gonna ask you to move. Thank you. I'm not gonna ask you to move from your seat. I just wanna give you a chance to respond to the Lord and say, that's what I'm doing right now. You're gonna do it right in your seat. You're gonna do it in your own words. But i just like to know when the Lord is speaking to people's hearts. And so if that's you, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I'm gonna make that decision today. Anyone else? I wanna ask you to stand with me as we get ready to close. please don't misunderstand the things that I shared today I don't hate America I love this country of all the places in the world that I've traveled and been uh, not a lot but enough to know that to me this is the best place to be on earth but in other countries evil is very overt because they believe in the unseen forces a lot more than maybe we do in our own rational reasoning America and so the danger in our country is a lot more subtle So I pray that the truth that I've shared with you today is something that you don't just stop with today, but that you continue to begin to study these words and allow the Spirit of God to set you free through a life of walking in truth. Because it's only through this book are we gonna recognize the lies. And so Father, I thank you today for those that have made that commitment, to turn from their old life, to surrender themselves to you, to admit their condition apart from you, to put faith in Christ and what he's done. God, I pray that you would seal these things in their heart by your spirit. God, that you would help them as they go through the rest of this week to not just hear the words of truth, but now begin to apply those things to their lives. For all of us today, I pray. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the areas of deception in our own lives where we've heard your word but not put it into practice where we've allowed reasonings and strongholds to be built up in our lives and I pray from this day forward continue to tear those things down with the truth of your word Father we ask for you to put your hand on this nation again that you would cause the hearts of men and women in this nation to turn back to you God, that through the lives of your church, as we reflect your character, your nature, God, not just your your hatred of sin, but your love, your peace, your joy, God, even in the face of adversity and in the face of our enemies, that through that reflection, people would see your hope, your light, and your love. Transform this nation, we pray. Father, I pray your blessing on every man, every woman, every child in this room today. As we leave this place today, I pray for your protection over us. as for your blessing and your hand to be on our lives. God, that you continue to lead us and direct us by your spirit each day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, if you want someone to visit with about the decision you've made today, uh, I'll be around here at the sanctu- in the front for a few moments if you want prayer and haven't been prayed for. We wanna make that available to you as well. When you're ready to, dis- to be dismissed, uh, Please feel free to do that. Be dismissed. Uh, Do it quietly and save your visiting for the foyer area that this can be a place of prayer for those that maybe want to stay for a few more minutes. God bless you as you go.
1: This solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand.